This episode of G.I. Joburg is performed before a live studio audience. Yo, Joburg, everybody. We are back. We are back with the weekly thing. This is three weeks running now. Long may it last, though I do have a newborn on the way, so that might throw a spanner in the works. My name is Steve, and as always, I'm joined by Paul. And you were hearing correctly, ladies and gentlemen. We have, in attendance... Members of our Patreon clan. That's right. They are listening as I speak. Uh, Paul is going to introduce them right now. Excellent. So, yeah, we've got the Bogue Force with us today. And um, I'm going to ask them to quickly switch on to mic mode so that they can all say hello. And we'll shout out a hearty Yo Jo Berg just so that um, you guys know that we actually have real people here. And I start adding people to the stream just before you think we are faking it and have it. Um, so, gentlemen, when you guys are all ready, you can unmute your mics and you can give us a hearty Yo Joburg. Yo Joburg! Yay! Hello, Ryan. Yo Joburg! What up, Ironmonger? Yo Joburg! There he is, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks, Matt. Cool. Outstanding. And now I'm going to put them back into their audience seats. So, you know, so we are joined today by Iron Munger, Ryan Sweeney, Matthew Comstock, and Bart Simon. Yes, that Bart Simon. So, now that And that we won't know be the last time we hear from them. They are going to be very much involved in shaping the rough clay that is episode 186. Uh, we have some fun bits and bobs on the agenda this afternoon or evening or night, wherever you're listening to this. So, yes, uh, it's going to be a very collaborative show. Paul and I have no idea what's around the corner because it's actually going to be dictated by the audience. But dun, before dun, we dun, do dun. that, I think it's time for our usual segment, Paul. New of shit, if you please. New shit that you have bought recently. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> well. Ladies and gentlemen, I thought I was going to go for another week running without having bought new shit, but I actually did buy something because I took a trip to our local online eBay equivalent called Biddle Buy. And yeah, my one of my regular sellers uh, that I buy from had some very cool stuff. And one of the, the little gem that he had that I ha just had to have in my collection was a 1983 Cobra Trooper swivel arms so i did not hesitate much i told steven i was thinking of buying it and when i put down when steven and i put the call down i bought it <laughs> so i have that coming sometime next week possibly in a day or two from this recording which i'm very excited about because as you all know cobra troopers can be quite difficult to come by and this one is super mint it's in a really good condition it's got a complete uh, unbroken dragonov and a file card, which is just such a bonus. I also did one other little naughty purchase um, that I didn't think I was going to do, but uh, Entertainment Earth uh, recently got a restock of the Foot Soldier and Baxter Stockman from Super 7 Ultimates, uh, two figures I thought I would never get because I thought I missed the bus on them completely. And at $40 each, I pinched both of them. They are currently en route to Bart's house. <laughs> <laughs> in the chat, Spots asking, how was the chest? I assume the chest of the Cobra office, uh, Cobra Trooper. Uh, yes. Pretty, pretty damn good. But I have a theory mm. when it comes to South African Cobra Troopers. 
I think they were on card in supermarkets as late as the year 1990. So there is perhaps a treasure trove of um, much younger <laughs> Cobra Troopers populating um, South African toy collections. It's also possible that they, um, through an iterative process of, you, you know, like improving on the manufacturing line, have a better paint job on them in, in respect to the quality of paint use that so possibly won't rub off as easily, holding, crossing fingers, holding thumbs. <laughs> nice, um, but I mean, what are your uh, your thoughts on the Cobra Trooper? Like, what what is the allure for you, Paul? Because you know, you, I suppose now you're kind of delving into the earliest reaches of the GI Joe toy line, but uh, you've always struck me as a kind of a an embracer of the, I suppose, the late '80s, early '90s era. Yeah. So you're very right there. I really do love a lot of the late '80s stuff, but I am very much in love with uh, the sort of core. G.I. Joe um, toys, especially those that were featured quite a lot in the Sumbo cartoon. So, you know, your Baroness, Cobra Commander, your Cobra Troopers, Storm Shadow, etc. But as you know, in the original G.I. Joe cartoon, you didn't have too many of the original 13. Yes, they were all there, but there wasn't so much a spotlight, uh, of a spotlight put on them. It was more like on barbecue and barbecue and, you know, <laughs> airtight and sci-fi and whatever. So having a Cobra officer is kind of a uh, a big thing, or Cobra Trooper, sorry, is kind of a big thing for me because I don't have any classic Cobra grunts. I mean, I only recently got a Viper now. Um, and now I've got a Cobra Trooper, which is so great because it just looks cool to have Cobra Commander with a lackey to slap around, right? So, Which prompts yeah. me to ask our studio audience. Uh, Ryan's already weighed in by saying he prefers the Cobra Trooper over the Viper. Who don't else in attendance feels the same way? You can just pop Viper or Trooper in the chat box. I'm still gonna find favorite for the Viper. It's, it's not only a good figure, it's perhaps the best Cobra sort of unit. It's just, it, it, it's a design that holds up without any kind of addition. It worked back then. It works in a modern setting. It's just, Cobra unit perfection uh, and set like a nice standard design for me. But this isn't about me. <laughs> Let's see what the uh, the audience has to say. Something I just got to say about that Cobra Trooper is I, I, I don't know why I've never noticed this before. Maybe it's just because I've just bought one and I'm really looking at him now. But I love the details on that toy. There's a lot of stuff happening on a very plain figure. You know, he's got that that cool sort of silver clip on his uh, right arm. And he's got the little V, or not the little V, he's got his like little insignia there. And he's got these two, I don't know what they are, but they're like these silver cylinders that sort of sit on I them. would call them grenades mm. for the grenade launcher on his chest. Ah, there you go. Um, uh, he's got a grenade and launcher on that his chest. loop, I believe, could be uh, Garot. <laughs> I don't know. The mind races as to what that actually is. So that's, yeah, it's just, it's got a lot more detail than I was expecting. Uh, I'm, I'm always pleasantly surprised by the eighties, uh, by the early eighties stuff. Uh, every time, you know, you've put something from that era in front of me, it's always surprised me. So let's see guys, are we, are we troopers in the audience or are we vipers in the audience? 
Hmm. Okay, right. So far, two votes for Trooper. Matthew and Ryan are both in the Trooper camp over the Viper. Bart says they're interchangeable for me. Not a good vote, my friend. What is that, an abs abstention? <laughs> yeah, that's like you're on the fence there. You, you, uh, okay, I'm going to go with the masses, man. I, I'll, I'll make it easier for you. What's your favorite one today? <laughs> Bart votes present. <laughs> Very good. Um, well, cool. so far, it looks like the trooper is winning the day, and I'm in the minority. I could take that. I suppose yeah. there's something very classic about the blue, well, the blue shirt. Um, it's got that, that late 70s, early 80s comic book baddie feel. You know, it's very much in line with the Hydra template um, that Cobra was, was modeled after. And of course, who can deny it's then therefore modeled after the template of the Nazis, my friends. Yes. Yes. So uh, Bart's come over to my side of the fence. <laughs> he says that the Viper, because he's more of a battle soldier, blue shirt is like a trainee cannon fodder. <laughs> I mean, with Cobra, I suppose you've got all these masses just funneled into your training program. You just toss them a dragon off, which I suppose is a, Fairly cheap rifle, not as cheap as the AK-47, uh, and throw them in a, a, a blue shirt and some boots and toss them into the battlefield. Whereas Vipers seem to have more, more invested in them, I guess. Mm. There are probably fewer of them in number. <laughs> but it's like, blue shirt has no battle gear. They just tossed him some clothes and, and was like, good luck. <laughs> Cute. For me, for new shit, oh my goodness. If you are of an inquiring mind, you might want to check out the YouTube channel. I did an, an unboxing. Uh, bit of a fragmented unboxing. I must apologize. I was having some technical difficulties that day. But the bottom line was, I got an incredible box of goodies from Gary V, who I believe is in attendance right now. Uh, and it was an eclectic mix of great stuff, stuff that I will actually be unveiling in the weeks to come instead of just, you know, boring you to tears with a huge dump of what Steve got in. Uh, but for this week's focus, I'm going to look at something that never crossed my path before. Um, I've only been seeing it actually uh, in abundance now that I've gotten onto Australian buy-sell trade groups. And this particular mail-away seems to be proliferated in <laughs> the land down under. Uh, but I'd never pulled the trigger on it, and I don't know why, because it is glorious <laughs> for what it is. It is the Manta. My the G.I. Joe Windsurfer. Man, oh man. I mean, how bizarre and how very specific, but how beautifully put together it is. I always thought this thing would be super flimsy and just fall, fall apart at the drop of a hat. Well, I guess I've just got a very good copy of it because it's great. It seems to hold nicely. And if you're wanting to make me put it to the test, well, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen, Check out the YouTube channel. Uh, I've just published a video called Cobra Don't Surf uh, featuring the Manta and its new stunning occupant. Another kind donation from Gary, which is Tiger Force Jinx. Ooh. It works, man. Hand <laughs> in glove. Battle Cat Tiger Force Jinx. Dude, I didn't cringer. know. 
I didn't even I didn't know I wanted a Manta until I saw you get one. And it's not like a oh I want that toy because Steven's got one. I'm like really impressed. I love how tiny that is. Like, you know, that's not what she said. Oh, it's, but it's scaled perfectly to the figures. It's so cool. It is like, but that's that's like another thing about early 80s Joe stuff that I really love. There's this and we've we've said this before on the show in, in earlier episodes. There's a very model kit-esque quality to a lot of early 80s stuff. Mm. Um uh, you know, even something as you know, lame as the the sort of gun emplacement, Cobra's gun emplacement. Uh, I keep the ASP. Even that is has like something interesting about it. It's got something going on with it, and that's like a vehicle I never would have like given two shits about at all. But then you know, you found that one like a few years back in my lo- one of my local comic book haunts. I can't believe you. <laughs> You're like right Sorry. under my freaking nose. No, dude, it's all good. It's all good. But. Well, I, I saw that you and I ask like, and you get, my friend. Uh, you probably go in there every other day, but you never ask the guy at the counter, do you have any vintage G.I. Joe? Uh, yeah. Me, dumb luck, just kind of the first time I go in there. Well, you know, I, I guess it was a, it was the nexus of opportunity and, and initiative. It was yeah, meant to. to happen. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bart says Manta vs. Pogo and go. Oh, he's jumping the gun. But let's actually take a little gander at uh, what the the listeners have to say. Firstly, Ryan, as for the Mobat, it's treating me very nicely. I um I noticed a little bit of a uh, an issue on the back or the drive wheel um, on the right side. It was slipping a bit. One drop of super glue sorted that right out. It's now going like a Boeing, well, as, <laughs> as much as a, a vintage Mobad can. I mean, it's, it's slow, and, but it does turn. It does go in reverse. It does all the bells and whistles. The steel is great. Um, the fact that it's got all of its stickers is very cool to me because I do have a Mobad. It just doesn't have any stickers, or at least the stickers that are there are all incorrectly placed. You know, that bugs my OCD. So it's a very, very, very nice version. And wonderful to have it here. I've certainly got enough lawn for it to rampage over. <laughs> um, Matthew's got the Manta, but it's so flimsy. I have a theory that this Manta that, that I currently have is one of the later produced ones. Because it being a mail-away, this thing was in circulation and being offered by Hasbro well into the 90s. In fact, I, I, I don't know this offhand, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Manta was still... A, a mail away premium on offer as late as the, the end of the line, 1994. Um, so this could very well be a far less played with, far less snapped together and then pulled apart version, which is why all the all the, the friction points hold so nicely. Yeah, I do indeed have a good one. And Bart says that the backpack for the Manta is big enough to carry guys. But I ask you, Bart, do you have an action figure big enough to carry a guy in the backpack that's big enough to carry a guy. <laughs> it would have to be roadblock. But I mean, the thing about the three and three quarter inch classic G.I. Joe is there's really not that much variation in size. I suppose Sergeant Slaughter is probably the tallest um, fella you got. But yeah, you probably need like a road pig to carry a, a jinx. <laughs> <laughs> and then you can do some Jedi training runs uh, on Dagobah. Anywho. Dagobah. 
Any hooch. <laughs> Let's move our agenda on. Um, as I said, Bot jumped the gun with his Pogo versus Manta battle. We're not quite going to do that matchup, but we're going to reintroduce the G.I. Joe Berg death battles death with an battles. opening round. Uh, wet and wild, ladies and gentlemen. We have in the red corner the Hydro Viper representing Cobra Command, and in the blue corner representing Destro, it's the Undertow. Yay! With a twist. <laughs> the, the audience will be determining who represents which figure. So, ladies and gentlemen, many gentlemen, if you would like Paul to represent the Undertow, just write Undertow. If you would like Paul to represent the Hydra Viper, just write Hydra Viper. We have one vote for Undertow, three votes for Hydra Viper. I think Hydra Viper takes it. Paul, your opening gambit with the Hydra Viper. I think we're going to set our depth at about 40 meters. That's 130 feet. Both divers have been sent down to a boat wreckage. Let's call it like a frigate, quite a, quite a substantial boat with enough internal space to play a little bit of hide and go seek. Uh, we have to get to the control room and steal some component, I suppose the size of a suitcase or satchel. Uh, and we're both obviously wanting to get it for our respective teams. So if we can take out the other uh, Diver with extreme prejudice that should leave our path clear to complete the objective. So, as the Hydra Viper, what are your advantages? Ooh, um, okay. Well, for starters, I'm cool looking. Okay, <laughs> I got a, a, a funky fishy hand that can help me sort of navigate the depths, and it's kind of like a weapon in case I get disarmed. Um, how do you figure? And, Does he have claws? Yeah, I reckon there's claws on that thing. There has to. Well, be if you check out that. the yeah, if you check out the uh, the card art, he's got extremely sharpened uh, fingers. That card art is kind of confusing to me. Is his skin mm. purple? No, I think. <laughs> or or is that a glove? I think, I think that's a glove. That has to be a glove because you know we can see. Then his why does he through... get surgery anyway? <laughs> like if it's just a glove. Well, maybe it's just like because you know he goes into harsh environments. Maybe I don't know. Maybe it's just to protect him. Maybe it's just to help him regulate his body heat. You know, he might have been like, you know, as modified. But maybe he, maybe it's dangerous to modify, um, you know, hydro vipers to be sort of cold resistant when um, when they walk around on the surface. You know. Unless, of course, they're always in the water, which just seems not safe. <laughs> okay. Cool. So my, my Hydro Viper is, he's on his mission. He's just been deployed from, this is going to seem like a bit of a strange vehicle, but they, he's been dropped off in one of the pods from a, from a hammerhead. And mm. he's splashing down and he's, on his, and he's jettisoned from the pod because he doesn't, like, he doesn't like the fact that it's going to make too much noise. And he's slowly he's making quite a quick descent to to the wreckage um and he's got his trusty manta ray that is like <laughs> communicating with him 
So it's like, it's letting is him know. Is it a weaponized he... manta ray or devil ray? Is there some kind of, um, I don't know, attack dog training to this creature? I just want to believe that he can secretly communicate with it. So that's like... <laughs> <laughs> Hydro Viper or Aquaman? Oh, come on, boy. <laughs> so that, ladies and gentlemen, is an accurate rendition of a manta ray. <laughs> so they yeah so he's he's got a little manta ray that's like you know chilling out i don't know i don't know how he kept the manta ray alive in the hammerhead pod but he did anyway <laughs> um so it's out there and it's like sort of saying uh staying a little bit above him and he's going down it's holding a little bit of recon and he is making his pursuit to the wreck and it's it's a good day for him he's like yeah this is a cakewalk i'm loving life right now so good to be in the ocean and you know and as he's going deeper the radio transmission in his head from you know cobra commander going seize the experiment 586 is starting to like fizzle out so he's starting to find a place of peace okay so while hydro viper's piecing the f out undertow is making a very quick work of this exercise he has to He's only got a small rebreather tank on his <laughs> on his body. I mean, let's face it, if we had if we had a mission that required some longevity, Hydro Viper is going to definitely be able to wait this one out. I mean, he's got about an hour and a half's worth of air on his back to the Undertow who is clearly yeah, he's just up to some some very 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 quick recon. But he doesn't have to wait out there for very long. He's got that sled which uh, is going to speed him to the objective. And I think that's his advantage right now. That and the fact that uh, in the stakes of Barracuda versus Manta Ray, I pick Barracuda. <laughs> <laughs> but can he communicate with the Barracuda? That's the question. He doesn't have to. He just has to sick it on your companion, and then the way is clear, my friend. Yeah, so... so weaponry is concerned... If I do encounter you, I've got that nasty-looking trident, which yeah, definitely outranges your knife. Yeah. Dum, 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 dum. But I've got a harpoon gun. I've got a torpedo. So if the going gets really rough, I light that sucker up in an enclosed space, bolts out of there, and boom, bye-bye Hydro Viper. But you don't want to take the risk because the sunken battleship has explosives in it. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> if you read the Undertow's file card, they are best at very at operating in very adverse conditions. Like oil slicks, like uh, corrosives, stuff that uh, I suppose the Hydro Viper, being more of a deep sea diver, is less inclined to encounter. Mm. So Any closing remarks, Paul? Or shall so, I put it to a vote? No, no. So my manta ray is, uh, has picked up a disturbance. It knows that you're on the way. It knows that you're there. So it's, it's sending out its little signals to my Hydro Viper. And the Hydro Viper is thinking, well, who's this pesky interference? And starts using all kinds of sneaky sea creature type, like, type stalking abilities. It's starting to stalk you. It has an idea of where you are because of its companion collection. As uh, Bart has just said here, chirp, 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 seek balls. So, uh, so it's about, uh, it's going to close in on you, or the Hydro Viper is going to close in on you. And the only strategy that the Hydro Viper is going to use is to smother you. It's going to 
it's going to get in there and it's just going to hold on to you it's going to keep you down um and and outlast you with with oxygen and stuff because it's way calm i think i think in the i think between the undertow and, and it hurts me to say this i think between the undertow and the hydro viper i think the hydro vipers are slightly better divers i mean they're crazy enough to go and get like themselves you know upgraded for water specialties so let's see what happens yeah i think it's time for our audience to determine a winner if you would like to see the Hydro Viper emerge victorious, pop Hydro Viper in the comment section. If, however, you very correctly think that I've won the day with the Undertow. <laughs> <laughs> Type Undertow, if you please. Matthew Comstock's got your back. <laughs> oh, that's oh, two. No. Oh, uh -oh. And one for the Hydro Viper. Oh, uh, two for the Hydro Viper. Hydro Viper. I, are we split down the middle? Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> well, that perhaps is the best outcome for our first matchup. We are even Stevens, two votes Undertow, two votes Hydro Viper. Thanks, guys. It seems <laughs> no one wants to offend any feelings, but we're going to have to because our next battle, we're going to take it back to something that is very near and dear to every G.I. Joe collector's heart. It's a battle forged in the fires of 1982, a battle of green versus blue, the ultimate infantry battle. It's Cobra Trooper versus Grunt. <laughs> if you once again would like Paul to represent the Cobra Trooper, pop Cobra Trooper in the comments. If you would like Paul to represent Grunt, you know what to do. Uh-oh. We got one vote for Grunt. Two uh -oh. for Grunt. <laughs> you guys are actually making Paul play against his new toy. <laughs> you guys are so mean. And and you're you're trying to to motivate Paul to uh, find the merit in Michael Ironside. I mean uh, Robert Graves. Robert W. Graves. Okay. Well, I think we have our our choice made paul is going to represent grunt with one dissenting opinion mr sweeney would like you to represent the trooper but uh unfortunately ryan, Thanks, you, ryan. Are in, you are in the minority <laughs> <laughs> all right paul once again buddy you can take first crack at this what are the advantages that grunt would have over the cobra the enemy okay well let's start with the fact that grunt is a gi joe and you know what to be a gi joe means you have to be the best of the best of the best with honors <laughs> so we've already got that going for grant we've um got the fact that um he is an infantryman he likes to shoot stuff clearly and he knows his guns because he's a small arms armorer and an artillery coordinator as his secondary specialty so he knows he knows some stuff so I'm guessing in this scenario, maybe his artillery coordination is not going to come into play here, but he knows guns. I mean, he can literally pick up anything off the battlefield and sort of feel comfortable with it because he's a bit of he's a bit of a gun nut. I'd say he's a little like uh, our good friend Bart. But uh, yeah, so that's the one thing. He's got all of this uh, great weapons knowledge and he's got advanced infantry training okay to be fair so do cobra troopers they also have advanced infantry training to a degree but grunt finished top 10 in his class so i want to believe that of all the men that enlisted uh in that program 
and I'm sure there were many, to be top 10 or one of the top 10 is quite an achievement. Um, so I think, I, I, I don't know, maybe I'm just reading the situation wrong, but I think to Grunt, a Cobra Trooper is kind of like a pop-up target for him, really. So. Fair enough. Uh, you uh, make reference to the weapon specialization that Grunt has. That's also very fair. But I need to point you in the direction of the Cobra, the enemy file card, which seems to motivate the fact that these guys are trained in all NATO and Warsaw Pact small arms. So they mm -hmm. also have a very wide base of, of weapons knowledge. But if we're going to be purists, if we're going to be purists, we've got to compare the M16 of the era, of the era 1982, and perhaps even earlier, uh, to the Dragunov of around the same time. Now, I'm no gun nut. I'll make that caveat at the opening of saying this, but I do have some idea the M16 was notorious for jamming up. In fact, uh. they used to uh, load the magazines with half the amount of ammunition to, to hopefully alleviate this jamming problem. Um, it's something that got corrected eventually, and certainly with the, the M4 um, sort of cut-down version, uh, it, it, it stopped becoming a problem. But I think the M16 has reliability issues, whereas the Dragunov it being in the same kind of lineage as the AK-47, you can drag this thing through the desert, through the swamp, through the mud, through the rain, just give it a little wipe down and still nail your enemy. That and right. the fact that it is a battle rifle with a larger caliber bullet mm -hmm. and a scope, which means that the Cobra Trooper, standard trooper, outranges the standard G.I. Joe infantryman. So okay. That. okay, so I'm going to defer. Um, I love this because now I can find a friend <laughs> in the audience. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Bart, I just want to just check. Okay, so an M16 with a, somebody that is known for having a cool head. Okay, um, you know, if that gun jams, what, what is standard procedure for, for that gun jamming? I imagine you pop out the magazine and you try to force feed the bullet out and then what you would manually uh manually slip in your round and shoot back i think a grunt i think grunt might be more accustomed to not losing his shit if he's getting shot at um with a gun that he knows is notorious for jamming um whereas the dragonovs also have their own set of issues and um and i think a cobra off a cobra trooper might be a bit too eager to try and kill and and as soon as he's like in a situation where something happens with his gun it's lights out for him especially if he thinks that he's got the upper hand after you know grunt hasn't sent any return fire his way or hasn't returned his his um registers but let's see what bot says yeah more or less but if that gun is dirty and you don't have some oil on you you're fucked says bot <laughs> so, and okay. matthew's got my back as well i'm afraid paul he does have experience with the m16 and its jamming issues okay so, so we've got some hard facts being uh, laid down by the members of the audience but i'm going to add a little bit more spice to this cauldron uh in terms of Backup weapons, Grunt's coming up a little short. I think he's got a combat knife on his person and a grenade. 
Whereas the Cobra Trooper, as we've spoken before, uh, made mention of the fact that he's got a grenade launcher on his chest with a little bit of additional ammunition stored on his bicep. And then for some really detailed close quarters work, he's got that nasty garrote wire. Ooh. But the big question is, what do you suppose Grunt has in his backpack? Is it just survival goodies? Or uh, do you have some additional weapons to bring to bear? Oh, I've got two strategies here. I think uh, I'm hoping Grunt has, or well, Grunt doesn't seem to be carrying a sidearm. So I'm, oh, but he has got a grenade, doesn't he? <laughs> He does yeah, but he's just throwing grenade. arm as good as my uh, grenade pistol. I I don't think it is, but I I want to believe that with all of his infantrymen training, he might be able to at least flush you out of cover, and then hopefully, you know, you know, if his gun is jammed, he can beat the crap out of your Cobra Trooper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, let's let's face facts that like it is a case of the good guys always winning. But on an equal playing field with their standard equipment as they were issued back in 82, we're going to have the audience determine which of these figures comes out on top. I think we definitely find some favor for the Dragunov uh, battle rifle or uh, light sniper rifle, depending on what you want to term or class it as. But uh, okay, we've got, some, we've got some votes rolling in already. Ryan says the trooper. Ooh, it's time, ladies and gentlemen. That's two votes trooper. Three votes trooper. <laughs> oh, poorly. Oh, thank you, Bart. <laughs> we have one vote for Grunt, and the rest have all fallen in line with the Cobra Trooper. Oh, dear. Blue wins the day, but it being the figure that you have winging its way to you currently, I think everyone's a winner in this round. Hey, there you go. I, uh, Gary says, spray and pay wins the day. Um, you know, uh, guys, just so you know, on the next time when we do this, I have prepared some little fun items for our audience members that is going to make these kind of battles a little bit juicier. Uh, but to give you an example of what that is going to be, uh, the only last thing I could, and I mean, I know that I've lost already and I didn't play this card earlier, but I was going to play the Kirk Bazigian card. According to 3D Joe's, Kurt Bazigian says, um, isn't afraid to pick favorites. Grunt is the man. So, you know, next time I'll make sure one of you fine gentlemen has the Kurt Bazigian card to play, you know, in favor of my argument. Um, also, uh, well, with gentlemen, a face sculpt like that, you better be the man. <laughs> um, man, looks cool. like a back end of a bus. All right, we have the greatest we matchup of 1987. It's the battle on everyone's lips when you think of that year. It's got to be. It's the 1987 Defiant Launch Complex. Oh. Versus the Pogo. Dun, dun, dun. And we have a new player. We've got Gaz. Gaz has just walked into the studio. Okay. And the way so... we work it, Gaz, if you would like Paul to represent the Pogo, put Pogo in the chat box. If you would like Paul to represent the Defiant Launch Complex, just write Defiant. Oh boy. <laughs> Otherwise, it's a mouthful. Oh, man. Votes are coming in, guys. Yes. We got one for the Defiant, two for the Pogo. Oh, yeah. 
three for the pogo. Time for the devil, devil dustbin to shine. <laughs> well, I think that sets it up. Uh, you are definitely in with the pogo, Paulie, my brother. Cool, cool, man. Cool, cool, cool. I just want to just have it sitting here with me on the screen. I've actually already got it here in studio with me today. I didn't take it back the other day, so I've still got mine with me. And can I, I'm going to load it with uh, none other than an Astro Viper, because that just seems to make the most sense in this situation. Okay. Are we okay. taking it to space? Or is this going to be a ground-based conflict? Uh, Hell, you... let's do both. Yeah, let's do both. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. So the way I envision this is Joe is, I mean, they don't, they don't, they don't roll the Defiant up out of the pit all that often. It's literally going up because it needs to launch into orbit. Cobra is making an all-out attack to try and stop this launch. Now, Joe doesn't, as I say, put the Defiant out very lightly. They probably have various security corridors of patrolling aircraft, ground vehicles, helicopters, support crew. Cobra has managed to penetrate all of that with only one unit. Everything else has been shot down, blown up, stamped out, forced to retreat. The Pogo is the last unit to get through. But does it have the grit, the stones, and the firepower to cancel this launch? I suppose it's going to come down to the Defiant throwing up a curtain of flak or laser fire. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's kind of my my main defense. I mean, the Defiant literally has 360 degrees and full elevations worth of firepower coverage. It's got big ass laser cannons front and back. It's got those quad lasers, which I suppose are automated at the tops of the gantry. So it's just going to lock on. And of course, it being Joe's most sophisticated piece of equipment of all, bar none. I mean, nothing else Joe has is as ramped up on tech as this. I'm sure all those weapon systems are state-of-the-art. And even something as small as the Pogo, moving as quickly as the Pogo, is going to be fried uh, by a veritable shield of firepower. But, Paul, do you have any hidden aces you'd like to play? Oh, totally. So what's happening is the Defiance is still on the ground. And um, it's just her, it's just gotten news that uh, there are Cobra uh, there are Cobra weapons that have been scrambled to, to try and intercept it, uh, to try and intercept its launch, but they're only going to get there within like 40 minutes or something like that. So it has to play it cool. It can't exactly go and blow its load on defending itself from Pogos. So with that said, <laughs> uh, my Pogos are going in with the advantage of knowing that they've got a little bit of an airstrike uh, coming through that might... Oh, hang on, is this a single unit or is this a, a, a cloud of pogos? I I want to think... Uh, I want to go with... It's got to be like two or three pogos. I think that's the, the best way. I think one sole pogo... Eh, no, actually, no, no. Let's 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 take it back. It's <laughs> it's the one pogo that's been delivered and it hasn't been destroyed in the, in the battle that was uh, sort of preempting this. And there's one like very... It's desperate. It's a, it's a, a do-or-die moment. 
Yeah, so it's a it's a brave Astro Viper, and he. I just want to just specify that this Astro Viper really does drink the Kool Aid. He is Cobra all the way, so he is he is basically going on a suicide run. He knows that he's not going to come out of this thing unscathed, so he's bouncing that Devil Dustbin left and right, and he's um, <laughs> and he's sort of letting off these like little bursts of fire of controlled fire you know just so that he can get close enough to the defiance and he's sort of inching past and in his last desperate uh, uh, desperate attack he bounces in the air and he lets loose the two missiles that he came with <laughs> and they are honing in on the defiant and all of those guns have been so busy trying to protect themselves from the pogo one of them has to hit the, the defiant at least one of them has to hit or at least one of them has to hit the gantry so mm. Mm, so does it happen yeah i suppose that piddly little machine gun wouldn't really touch sides no i mean maybe if he hit the cockpit of the of the shuttle um so it would have to come down to a lucky shot with those missiles i just think like something as as tight as the pogo like for it to be a good launch platform for those missiles you're going to have to be a little bit less bouncy, a little bit stiller uh, to get off a good, good shot or good lock, for instance. Um, and that's just going to give all the Defiance guns uh, a clear opportunity to gun you down. But I suppose it being a missile shot, you could probably launch it from further away. But then again, the Defiant has laser cannons, which I suppose range isn't as much of an issue. It's more yeah, a case of like, do our do our, our visual senses uh, are they able to isolate the pogo, or the exactly. pogo can actually be behind cover to fire those missiles? It could be if you've, got, I, if you've got a good lock. But I don't think the pogo. I mean, I know if I was in that situation, I would want to try and get as close as damn it because I want to make sure that my missiles don't have too much ground to travel because that makes it easier to intercept them. You know, oh, like, so you're actually going to be closer. Yeah, I want to be closer. I want to make sure that those things like don't have to travel. That there's no like fuel error or ignition error on the missile. I want to make sure that that thing hits something. Like, you know, and that are at you least... in motion when you launch them, or have you found hmm. a p piece of cover and launched them from behind there? I've generally found with something as big as the Defiant and with how it's going to be doing its stuff, uh, I feel like movement. There is, is no cover. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is like the desert floor. There probably isn't yeah. much for the pogo to hide behind. So I'm, I, I feel like keeping myself moving um, and trying to be as unpredictable as possible with my movements uh, is is the way to get closer here. And like I said, the machine gun fire is to try and upset um, the the defiant, at least to upset any kind of uh, manned gunning emplacements or any kind of gun emplacements, just to sort of just cause chaos, just to create some kind of suppression. Um, even We've though got some it's... great listener comments that I'd like to read out at this point. Go for it. Uh, well, Bot supports me by saying, look at the guns on the gantry. It throws up a wall of lead, Nuff said. Gaz says that the Pogo has two missiles, and Ryan says that the Cobra Pogo is the kamikaze of space. But uh, to counter the, the missile comment, Bot says that the Pogo has room for three, but only carries two. It's an epic fail. Even Cobra doesn't want to waste ammo on it. 
<laughs> Gaz says that the Astro Viper might up the stakes a little bit. I suppose he means that um, uh, Cobra would have invested quite a bit into it if they've put something as expensive as an Astro Viper behind the wheel. Yeah. But Bart says that he's like every other Cobra pilot. He can't fly for shit and will get <laughs> shot down and have to parachute out. Uh, Bart also counters that if the missile hits the gantry door, it's going to be ineffectual. So, yes, you do have a very narrow target there, Paul. Uh, if you are firing from any kind of obtuse angle, chances are you're going to hit something non-essential and the launch will still be a go. Um, Hopefully. But, you know, space shuttles are very sensitive. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, they're literally sitting on top of a huge fuel tank. I assume. Yeah. I mean, like the booster is filled with components, uh, conspicuously not fuel. Um, but but when they I guess mix, Joe, Joe Tech has kind of miniaturized the the fuel tank. Uh, if you have the toy, if you're fortunate enough to have a Defiant, <laughs> like myself, you'll notice there's a very cool uh, there's a very cool sticker called fluorazine, uh, which is a mythical substance, but it's on top of uh, something that looks like a fuel tank in the booster section. So ah. presumably. The Defiant is powered by this very small, very stable tank of fluorazine. Uh, and Bart says the fuel tanks are self-sealing, but maybe not against high explosive, Bart. I don't know. Yeah, it's, By it's the a way, Matthew has resigned himself to the fact that the Pogo is not going to win, but he likes it because it's a discount Roboskull, and that, my <laughs> friend, is probably the best way of looking at it. Yes, yes, absolutely. It's the poor man's Roboskull. And its lineage is far clearer, in my opinion. I mean, it's, it's definitely Cobra Tech through and through. You don't have to, like, by owning it and putting it in your displays, have to start incorporating the bloody red shadows into, into Cobra and get uh, into that messy Action Force um, G.I. Joe quagmire of, like, oh, which is, which is canon? Which is, how do, I, how do I make sense of my Joeverse, man? It's also confusing. Uh, UK, USA. I don't know. Is Cobra a used car salesman, or is he a mutant snake man, or is he is he Red Maybe. Laser, <laughs> or Bar Baron Ironblood? That guy. <laughs> Anyways, it's time to vote in the terrestrial battle of Pogo versus Defiant Launch Complex. Which way are we going, boys? You just need to write Defiant or Pogo. Did the Pogo get a lucky shot off or did it just become the red devil dustbin in the sky? <laughs> <laughs> defiant. Ugh. Defiant. Defiant. Ugh. Oh, dear. Sorry, Paulie. Looks like okay. uh, the Pogo is not going to win the day, predictably. I, I thought, like, just on complete kamikaze oddball charm, the Pogo might be able to get through. It, yeah, it and like I think... The Defiant succeeds in launching. And I think it's also like, it, it's also a numbers game. I think if there were like two or three Pogos, I think that changes. They'd the smash into each other. No, they wouldn't. <laughs> if <laughs> you dial back to our, our chat last week, we, uh, yeah. we spoke about how, po well, at least I spoke about how Pogos can't really be launched in squadrons because if their tactic is to maneuver unpredictably, just bounce around constantly changing their angle of attack you're going to be a big hazard to your fellow pogo pilots you know you, yeah, you need to be operating in very specific and separate uh attack zones otherwise all that bouncing around it's just absolute chaos 
like unless they've got some kind of coordination to their bouncing around, which then that's a contradiction in terms. They're like, are they random or are they following a set pattern? Uh, you know what? You know what this this whole conversation has given me an idea for, and I'm going to speak to one of the developer guys that I work with tomorrow, um, one of the game dev guys. It's it's making me think like I want to make like an Atari style Moonlander game where you use a pogo and then you have to try and blow up a defiant. Uh, I, I, I'm going to try that. I'm going to see like maybe I should do that just to to get my coding skills up to par. <laughs> Would this be like Space Invaders? Because then I, I think you should probably flip it. Like the protagonist vehicle should be the defiant shuttlecraft, and you just have a bunch of pogos and stilettos. Cool above you. I don't know. Well, let me see if I can do it. I, I've got like some ideas for it. I mean, uh, I, I I don't <laughs> think I'll just make it one linear experience. I'll try to make it like two different experiences one where you're the defiant and the other way you're the pogo but i'll i'll mess with it i'll see what I, what we can do i'm just chat, so glad that matt, matt would happily part with 10 bucks for that space invaders skin <laughs> yeah nice totally so that brings our well you know now we've got we've got a draw and we've got a win for cobra and we've got a win for gi joe hmm. lovely lovely well, it's a small, small scale win for Cobra, that being the Trooper versus Grunt, and a very large scale win for uh, GI. No, that's once again a small scale win. It's just the Defiant crushing the Pogo. I mean, predictable, right? Does the answer change if we have the Defiant shuttle encountering a Pogo in space? If you were to do as many people have done and make the Pogo some kind of space capsule? Does if, that change things slightly? I think and it let's definitely upgrade, does. Let's, up, let's upgrade the machine gun to a laser cannon. Yeah. Well, that, that would be a very good idea because I think if it had to fire off a machine gun, it would change its, its trajectory quite quite a bit. <laughs> I don't <laughs> know. Would... Like Mythbusters haven't been able to do an episode on does a machine gun work in space? <laughs> yeah, but the, I mean, the US military has... But they have spent a lot of money on making a gun that works in space. And I'm pretty sure the Russians have too. So, um, but uh, yeah, either way, um, with conventional wisdom, uh, if that gun had to shoot, the, the energy created would set the, the pogo in a bit of a funny spin. So I think laser is definitely the way to go. And I'd also like to suggest that the pogo can accomplish some kind of AMBAC movement where it has some kind of gyro system inside it that allows it to sort of change its trajectory in space without having to use too many um, correction, correctional thrusters. So I think that, uh, but I mean, with those things in play, yeah, I think a pogo is a threat. I actually think anything that can do damage in space is a threat to a space shuttle because yeah. of how spaceships are. I mean, yes, there are redundancies built into the spaceship and things like that, but it doesn't take a lot to, to breach a hole of a spaceship. I mean, I know that a space shuttle... Interestingly, is Bart has, has flipped. In space, the Pogo would win for him. So let's crush this debate in one fell swoop. Who here says the Pogo would be able to take the Defiant in space? I'm going to say yes, most likely. It's an annoying little flea of a vehicle, whereas the, the Crusader shuttle... What kind of weaponry has it got? It's got fixed forward lasers. So it has mm. to bring the entire sort of reaction control thrust, the entire ship to bring its weapons to bear. Whereas the Pogo could probably attack from any angle, really. 
Mm. Yeah. Matthew agrees mm. and Jazz agrees that uh, the the pogo would have more agility. And in space, it's such a harsh environment that you don't have to damage your opponent too much to take them off the board completely. I think <laughs> you pump a few laser rounds into the Defiant shuttle, it's going to be dead in the water. Yeah, uh, I mean, shuttle that ship. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. Space shuttles are made to resist things. I mean, there's a lot of stuff happening in space, like little you know things, like little pellets and little pieces of whatever's that float around in space. They do pelt the, the space shuttles. You know, they do. Uh, you know, every now and then they take chunks, small chunks out of the space shuttles. But yeah, so it has got some form of resistance. But I mean, if we're talking like a laser and you know, all kinds of fun, funky space stuff, yeah. Awesome, I'm also for the pogo. Yeah, I'm just gonna take my win. Oh, Devil Dustbin. <laughs> Everybody loves you in space. <laughs> Paul makes a Volhelm scream. <laughs> uh, boys, this has been a blast. I think we're gonna start wrapping things up, but uh, my new favorite section is how we uh, wrap up the show these days. Let's take a little look at our letters page in Postbox. The pit. Just the pit. <laughs> we have a comment on uh, our graduation day video, and this is stuff that always gives me a kick when people discover these things for the first time. It's like, yeah, welcome to the clan, my friend. <laughs> We're playing with your toys and filming them is cool. <laughs> we, <laughs> make, we make no bones about doing a professional stop motion routine. This is all about just. I don't know, just the chaos of fingers in the frame. But uh, Dog said that Playmobil never stood a chance. <laughs> of course, he's referring to that, that hashed uh, training sequence where I suppose, was it? It was Beachhead, it was Low Light, and it was uh, Sci Fi bringing up the rear, going into kind of a kill house filled with, uh, well, in my mind, there were dummies. Like. <laughs> You know, like dummies that you'd you'd run in, you'd have to like Any shoot dummies, the guys yeah. holding guns and like not shoot the guys <laughs> being held hostages. But uh, Schmau Dog got me laughing by saying that Playmobil never stood a chance. Nope, definitely not. Especially since they don't have swivel arm battle grip. Oh, lifelike uh, hair. Anything Joe's commented on our our last podcast, and I'd just like to say at this point that Anything Joe's is one of my favorite GI Joe podcasts of the moment. Uh, they are a great variety show, but they are doing everything. Like, it seems like, you know, they do convention coverage. They, they have podcasts. They do comic book reviews complete with YouTube videos accompanying them. They really are a hot item right now. I would suggest that anyone listening to this who is not currently subscribed to Anything Joe's, both on their podcatchers and on YouTube, go check them out. But uh, they'd like to know that when we're talking about touching up figures with silver and gold, are you using regular Sharpie markers or another specific brand? The answer, nope, we are using Sharpie brand. Uh, I know in Australia, you can get the, the metallic silver and gold for like $6. But hey, why don't you just roll heavy and get the 20 pack <laughs> complete with yeah. all colors of the rainbow for just, uh, I think it's about 20 bucks, $20. Wow. Yeah, that's that's Oz dollars, so it'd probably be about fifteen US. And we also have them here, hey, in South Africa. Um, oh, yeah. So, 
But I do know that Sharpie does have a wide range of stuff because they got their standard Sharpies and they got their like paint Sharpies and whatever. So maybe that's what they were aiming at. But um, I know with metallic markers in general, it is a type of paint usually. And it's usually like water-based or alcohol-based paint that they use. So it's usually acrylic to a degree. Anyway, it's putting this past there. week, we uh, released the first part of our 1990 Benelux catalog review which is a collaboration between myself and Paul and the members of Talking Joe. And mm -hmm. uh, one of the more interesting comments that I read was uh, from Dubuya J, who says that what impresses me is that you see Iron Grenadiers and Cobra in the same room working together. And he's referring to that first spread, which has the Hydro Vipers, Toxo Vipers, Techno Vipers uh, and Astro Vipers sort of in formation alongside the Iron Grenadiers and it's Voltar who's showcasing these troops to the resplendent battle armor Cobra Commander on the steps of this massive Cobra Cathedral, it seems like. Anyway, if you want to check out the photography itself, check out the YouTube video, the 1990 Ooh, Benelux catalog. Or if you can hold out, uh, like maybe ask somebody to download the images for you and then go through them with us when we do the episode, because Hey, I'm also, that. Yeah. but Paul, just to answer the, uh, the, the query about it being quite impressive that Destro's forces and Cobra are sort of side by side in this big group shot. I'm less, uh, I suppose, jarred by that because in South Africa, they weren't marketed as separate entities. By the time yeah. these action figures reached us, they didn't even have the blue digital explosions on the cards surrounding yeah. the the iron grenadiers we got iron grenadiers on regular cards just calling them the enemy yeah. um and and there was no kind of destro's iron grenadiers livery they didn't go as far as to change the file cards so the references to like destro starting up his own game were still there but they were somewhat buried you know you'd have to read the file card to get that sense uh there was nothing on the file card or, or on the card back or front or in the marketing material to suggest that this was a separate uh, separate army yeah that was um yeah we didn't get that i i also remember going what is an iron grenadiers because i know that the um undertow uh, i think the thing that keyed me on to that was the undertow when i got mine all the way back when um a mall called northgate had just opened it was back in 1992 um, I'm going to reference The Undertow uh, one more time in this podcast and say that he was also in that incredible box of goodies from Gary. Um, and I will also say that given his color scheme, this is a shoe-in for an eel version two, With the gray oh, yeah. and the red. All you need is a cobra symbol somewhere. Um, but they decided to cast him as Destro's diver. That makes sense. Destro didn't have any navy to this point. And he's a bit of a unicorn in that there's not much to back him up. Like Destro doesn't have a boat or a sub. Um, so in terms of the Destro specific navy, you're coming up short. You've just got this diver. But then they went and made Eels V2, that strange neon yellow and blue contraption that Jason Murrell loves so much. I also uh, dig it. Yeah. But now but that I, think, I regard the undertow and I'm like, man, he looks so good next to the what? original eel. <laughs> Ooh. 
Yeah, listen, I love the Undertows. I think they are one of the sexiest toys in the line. Uh, I love that, uh, the, the face mask. I love that it's such a thin piece, you know, uh, and it's very much to scale. I, I, I've always, that's always blown my mind. And when I, when I had him as a kid, I, I really, I fawned over that toy. I thought it was such an amazing figure. In fact, I got the Eels uh, version two, but more for the RoboShock. Um, and I mean, I've only grown to like the Eels two over time, but I really, really loved the, the RoboShock at first sight. And that was kind of like the companion for my undertow at, uh, at a stage. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And was the, the tail fin of the RoboShock a mythical piece? Did you lose it as soon as you got it? No, actually, to be fair, I had mine for quite a while. Um, I did, ha I did lose the missile though, ironically, but, um, I, I had to, I managed to keep the tail for quite a long time. It was because I got that figure when I was already friends with David and because of being friends with David, I sort of inherited his, uh, sort of meticulousness when it came to keeping your toys together. And so I did sort of keep all of that stuff like in a box or in a bag or whatever's together. So mine was there for a very long time. I actually lost the whole shock with the tail in one spell swoop um, oh and poorly oh poorly yeah, well i hope you can correct that now though yeah it's, it's getting harder and harder to get those tails because uh, jason keeps stepping them up <laughs> yeah jason you, you've got to stop buying those eels version two man you know leave some for the rest of us leave some for the rest of us man grant welsh commented on our last podcast saying that he went from having a 101% complete and 99% complete pogos to two 100% complete pogos. Thanks for confirming something I had suspected, but I hadn't checked. He's referring to the missiles, the fact that it only comes with two. Uh, also, the thought of two pogos attacking my defiant is so cool. Red on white, good contrast. Well, Grant, you're going to love the content of this episode then. <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's great to know that there are people out there who we have assisted in completing their collections uh, by simply mentioning that, yes, in fact, the Pogo did not come with that third missile. How bizarre. It's always cool. Last mailbag item I'm going to dig out. Uh, I'm going to direct it at you, Paul, because this is reaching way, way back. G.I. Joe Espanol has just discovered our uh, transportable tactical battle platform uh, pseudo review. I say pseudo review because it started out as a uh, play motion style review and then gave rise to that thing called the Atlantis Factor. Anyway, it features myself and Rob <laughs> hooking up the battle platform to four dragonflies and basically having Shipwreck give a rundown of its features and intrigues. But G.I. Joe Espanol would like to know why is Shipwreck giving the orders? Paul, can you come up with any plausible explanations? I think um, I'd like to believe that he's the highest ranking uh, naval officer in that um, situation. I think he's I a mean, chief I... petty officer, which he's not, uh, he's not a swabby. He's not one of the boys, but he's, uh, he's not a high ranking. Uh, yeah, but Navy I mean, in terms man. of, not an but officer. in terms, yeah, but I mean, in, in comparison to who's there, um, I mean, he's, he's specialized, that's his specialization. So that's the only thing I can think of is like, and, uh, that, and I'm going to mix it with it's shipwreck. I mean, shipwreck in himself is kind of a mystery. Uh, and, and this came up again the other day when I was actually talking to Cecilia about it, uh, about that character. And, you know, I, I always feel like shipwreck is, is sort of, 
uh i don't want to say i don't like the term like dirty military but i think he kind of is i think he does a lot of black ops stuff for the for the joes and so i think he's kind of like yeah i think he knows a lot more than than people give him credit for and i think he's a lot more dangerous than than people give him credit for and so and that's that's how i like to paint shipwreck at least in my mind as a wasn't you know, there an episode of the cartoon where they assigned ranks or did cobra hack the system and they assigned ranks to like dial tone shipwreck mm. uh, lifeline like each of them were given like i suppose shipwreck had rear admiral status and everyone else had colonel status or something like that i wouldn't be surprised i mean it's some and they did cool stuff like that but yeah, I Look, mean, my explanation is it's a naval piece of equipment. And as you know, in G.I. Joe, your pay grade does not necessarily determine who calls the shots on the mission. It's what you call, I believe, bush rank. So the most experienced man or woman for the job is assigned leadership position. So when it comes to ordering people around a piece of hardware like the transportable tactical battle platform, you got the Navy man with the most experience. And while Shipwreck might not have uh, a lot of rank to show for it, he certainly has a lot of experience in the field, which as I get older, I realize is the difference between enlisted personnel and officers. Mm. You know, officers, you're being funneled into driving a desk as quickly as possible. It's the enlisted men who are out in the field getting it's all the actual practical experience. So mm. for a team like G.I. Joe, that's what really counts. That's what you want. Yeah. And Shipwreck, for all his rough edges, he knows his way around maritime hardware. So yeah, <laughs> that, that is exactly why G.I. Joe Espanol, Shipwreck, is giving the orders. Actually, um, and just to add to that quickly, Bart just mentioned now, um, Bart said, I'm a sergeant, but I have led majors in the field. Comes down to training and who has the most experience in the task. So yes, that's just to add a little bit of uh, weight to your statement there as well, Stephen. And Matt yeah. says that he's got a click and play SWAT figure that looks like a discount shockwave and named him Steve in my honor. Thank you, Matthew. Those Aww. figures, those... Uh, Power Team Elite, whatever they're called now, click and pay. Uh, they aren't bad. Not bad fodder, but also they're a lot of fun. And you don't feel the same kind of like fear uh, as you might fear or, or delicateness. You might fear when uh, handling actual G.I. Joe toys. They are pretty damn robust. So, yeah, man, I, I, I had a friend who, you know, towards the later stages of us playing with toys, he totally eschewed the classic O-ring guys. He wouldn't use the modern Joe guys or the new sculpt. He would exclusively use those Power Team Elite figures because they were just so forgiving, had the kind of articulation that he wanted, like wrists and even the, the mid-thigh swivel, which yeah. like, like modern Joe doesn't have that either. Um, and of course, they had ankles. Like they had a lot of articulation that really like gave him what he needed for like cool sniper poses, for instance. So there is no shame in admitting that you're a fan of those figures. Um, Matthew just said he's filled with fear opening these 21st anniversary figures right now. Um, I'm going to quickly say, Matt, uh, Matt, what figures are they? And maybe, maybe we can uh, be your enablers. <laughs> and, uh, and Ryan says non-coms are the ones who hold the units together. And I, I couldn't agree more, though I've never served myself seems like that is how that is how the structure of any armed forces works 
it's the grunts in the field, man. The whole thing falls apart without, without the non-coms. Yes, sir. Non-coms, not to be confused with rom-coms. <clears throat> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> All right, dudes. I think we're going to wrap it up on episode 186. Thank you so much for joining us, our live studio audience. If uh, you too would like to join us on a podcast, well, uh, if you'd like to, to chuck in a buck, as they say, We'd love to have you join our Patreon squad. I like this. It, it feels intimate. It's good. Mm, good. It is good. And guys, thank you so much. Um, I love the suggestions. I love the, um, the chatter in the, in the chat box. Um, thanks for the participation and thanks for breaking the ties. I mean, we do these death battle matchups often enough, but we never have any kind of deciding vote, really. It's well, normally just... Uh, you know us kind of bantering it about but uh nice to have some some decisiveness within the same podcast totally so, thanks for joining yeah. us and thanks for playing boys yeah and uh yeah if you guys like steven said if you want to join the boat force um yeah go and check out our patreon page uh the link is below in the description if you're checking this out on youtube and uh we'd love to have you and you can join for as little as three dollars and you'll be privy to um early videos and and of course being part of the interactive podcast experience and thank you so much for the support because i really do feel like building something cool here and yeah shot dudes go and Yo, play with Joe your toys Berg, everybody play with your toys indeed and i'm just about to hit publish on a uh short and sweet little video i filmed on the weekend called cobra don't surf and this is a tribute to everyone going through a extremely harsh winter right now that hopefully the sun will shine again someday. And thank you to Matthew for this uh, episode's handle. It will be now, now be known as 186 The Joe Apocalypse Now. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, Joe Berg, everybody. Later, guys. Later, dudes.